Well, good morning, friends. Happy, happy, happy Saturday. You know, I was wondering if I was going to get here today uh, to do the show. Welcome to Growing a Greener Kenai. I was really wondering if I was going to get here today because when I first came out of the house, there was this big, yellow, scary fireball in the sky that I'm not used to seeing, and I almost got scared and went back in the house. Boy, it's been weird so far this year, hasn't it, folks? My goodness, I've been reading some things by folks who have said in their 40 years of gardening in Alaska, they haven't seen it a a year like we've had so far. Boy, it has been weird, hasn't it? And I know uh, here we've been getting down into the 40s at night still. A few other places, some folks were in the 30s. It was 37 at our house the other morning. And I'll tell you what, it's been weird. And when you listen to the news, they were talking about a year ago at this time, we were literally 30, 25 to 30 degrees warmer. We were up in the 70s at this time last year, if you remember. Anyway, what what an odd, odd year to start. I hope everyone's garden is doing okay. Mine is absolutely, it's like it's in slow motion. And it is really strange. It's taken uh, seeds a longer time to germinate. Even in my greenhouse, I guess it's getting, I don't have a heated greenhouse, and I guess it's getting cold enough at night that it's still cooling down the greenhouse enough where it is absolutely just not not warming up very well. I mean, I've got beans in there that are just have pathetic germination rates for new seed. And I'll tell you, I you know, I just don't know what to say. It is absolutely uh, difficult. And there again, some folks have said, now now I'm not counting the folks who have, for instance, a high tunnel or a heated greenhouse or anything like that. This is just for for regular gardening and maybe folks, like I said, like me that have an unheated greenhouse uh, that probably needs a little bit better. I probably need to seal it off a little bit better. I probably got some places where there's a little too much cool air that's able to come in at night around some of the corners and and that where where I don't have it really sealed up as well or up up around the roof edge perimeter but I'll tell you I uh, I am having a heck of a time as I know some people one uh, one of our uh, readers on one of the uh, uh, oh what's the word I say this all the time what's one one of the social media gardening sites local has said that they're darn near giving up on produce this year it's just uh, it's amazing and I do know that the Saturday market has started uh, the one uh, off off uh, the spur road in in uh, Soldatna, so uh, you know I'm I'm actually going to run by there I think after the show today and see and talk to some of those gardeners, the folks that are selling their goods at that market, and see how they've been doing this year so far and what all they've got. Now, like I said, some of the folks that have heated greenhouses they don't count because I've seen pictures of people that've got fantastic cucumbers and tomatoes all that right now but there again like i said they're they're heating uh, one of the things i want to remind everybody about too is don't forget we've had we've had a lot of rain so it's probably pretty safe to to burn but if you if you still don't forget you got to get that burn permit uh 
before you can do a small scale open burning, but also the slash pile just north of the soccer fields of out of Kenai, that's open from Sunday to Thursday from like 10 to 4, 10 to 5. So don't forget you folks that live up on this end uh, by Kenai and Nikiski have got a place to dump your slash if you don't want to go all the way to the, to the landfill uh, south of town. And coming up, uh, I got to let you know that the Central Peninsula Garden Club our annual fundraiser was a resounding success this year. We made more money this year in our fundraiser than we ever have. We made over $7,000. You know, the club is a nonprofit. And I once again have to give just an amazing thank you to Sarah at Kenai Feed, to Fritz at TNT Compost, Michael Hicks at Grandpa's Worms, and they just did wonderful in helping us by just selling their product and then writing a check to the garden club for, uh, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked to them before the fundraiser. And instead of, you folks know, instead of the club doing the orders and meeting everybody at Kenai Feed. Everybody had the month of May to go out to Kenai Feed, buy the items that we were going to get as we usually sell for the fundraiser. And then uh, Kenai and Fritz, they just wrote us a check for what what we sold. We got a percentage of it, and we did fantastic. The club, like I said, we made a little over $7,000. The plant sale that we held last Saturday, a week ago today, was another resounding success. Kathy Haas just does such a good job. Uh, she's run that for years. That sale made over three thousand dollars. The the uh, amendment sale made over three thousand uh, dollars. With Fritz, we got over five hundred dollars. And then at the plant sale, we also signed up uh, four new members into the club. So that was another eighty dollar uh, membership fee. So it was just absolutely wonderful. And I've got, uh, I was there early for the plant sale and took some pictures. And I had counted over at about quarter to 10. It starts right at 10. I counted over 100 people in line waiting to get in there and be the first in line and get uh, everything. And we sell everything there. We've got herbs and veggie starts. And there's usually some trees and bushes and just a little bit of flower starts everything uh and that's another big thank you out to all our local gardeners who do extra starts and donate them to the plant sale so anyway uh and the other folks in the garden club uh terrell rebecca uh mitzi everybody did great and the other uh, uh the other volunteers who were there to help that morning uh dennis chuck levon it was absolutely a wonderful day and I'll tell you what, our our items sell out fast. That's why everybody's there right at 10 o'clock or before 10 to line up because it's such a good deal. And you got to get there early, you know. And there was actually, I, you know, even though I could be uh, ahead of the line and in there, I didn't, I didn't scam any of my plants before the folks got in there to get theirs first. I didn't think that would be very fair. So... I waited till they opened the, pulled the, the ribbon down and let everybody in. 
Then I did the same thing with the crowds that went in there and got what I could get. I did get a, I did get a couple of items. Uh, I, I told you folks before, for whatever reason, I, I think I'm going to get rid of all the seed I currently had. I just had horrible germination rates this year. And what I primarily got at the sale was some herb starts. I got I got herb starts that I that I could get, and uh, that's that's what I did, uh, and that's okay. You know, it uh, it's uh, it's one of the things. Some folks like to start their things from seed. I typically do, but I just had a heck of a time this year. So anyway, I didn't I didn't mess with that this year, and uh, didn't worry about it. Tried starting them. No luck. I don't know what happened. I've never had this. I don't know if it's the weather. I don't know what it is. You know, and that's what's really weird about gardening like this is you have trouble getting starts going. Well, out in, we've got a little herb garden that I built out of rock uh, in one of our flower beds uh, right next to the house. The oregano comes back every year. We got a great bush of perennial oregano, and we all know the the mint comes back with a vengeance, and if you don't control it, it will absolutely take over. And one of the things I did in my little herb garden with my mint is I took a, oh, I think it's a, it's probably a, a gallon and a half or two gallon plastic bucket, you know, that, that you might buy a plant in at the nursery or whatever, and I cut the bottom out of that. And then I buried that into the ground up to the rim of that bucket, and then that's what I planted are meant in and what that does is that helps to confine that plant pretty much to just that area uh, we had I think it was last year we had one little sprig come up outside the bucket I'm, and I'm guessing maybe a root or something went down out and underneath the bottom of that cutout bucket and it did but we we yanked that out so we get a nice bushy mint every year and it stays in the exact same location every year Another successful thing I had happen this year is we have yet to lose a tulip bulb to moose. And we have really had the moose, as a lot of folks have, and a lot of our gardeners have by, by posting. We, uh, for such a bad winter that we had, boy, the, the mama moose, we've got a couple of moose in our neighborhood that have had got twins. We've got another moose that has a single baby, and we don't know if she had twins and lost one or if she just had one. But anyway, the moose have been everywhere in our neighborhood, and we still have yet to lose a single tulip. Now, one of the things I did, as I've, as I've told you folks before, is I planted a ton of jonquils, daffodils, in with the tulips. We had just beautiful blooms of, of jonquils this year, and moose don't like those. I've tried in the past, you know, we're growing some alliums in there, garlic, uh, leeks and stuff, because they don't like those either. But we haven't, uh, this is like two years in a row now that we haven't lost a single tulip to the moose, because they love them. They go along, they bite the flower off the top of all of them. And a young moose might try a jonquil, but they'll spit it out, because they don't like those. So I interplanted everything, and like I said, I, I feel pretty tickled that uh, two, two summers now, no, no loss of tulips. So you might give that a try and see what happens. So anyway, what, what a wonderful, what a wonderful success we had for the Garden Club this year. And a reminder, we'll be starting up the Garden Club meetings again in only two and a half months. Well, basically, two, yeah, two and a half months 
They'll start up in September again, the second Saturday of the month. And I'm sure it'll be at 1 o'clock, and we'll, we'll announce that later on once I get it finalized. Excuse me, but we're going to be at Kenai Peninsula College this year. So they've got great audiovisual equipment, uh, a wonderful place. That's being arranged. And like I said, more information will come out on that as we get closer to September and the startup of the annual meetings again. And that's also another reminder for you folks that our Garden Club members, our membership period runs from uh, August 31st or September 1st to August 31st each year. So our new membership year starts on September 1st. And you can renew by mail. You can do it online if you go to the club website at Senpen, C-E-N-P-E-N, Garden Club at, at uh, dot O-R-G. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, I better, I better double check on that. And uh, I think I may have just uh, given, uh, given you the wrong, the wrong uh, address there. Central, P-E-N-I-N-S-U-L, Garden Club. And left over that. Nope, I gave it right. Sinpengardenclub.org. And you can go onto that site and you can click on membership and you can do it and pay with a credit card right there. Uh, $20 for a family member or a single membership, $30 for a family membership, renewable every year. And you can look, uh, you can just do that online. So, so, you, so one of the things to, to let you know though is if, if you join, next week and you're only a member for july and august you're not going to get charged again in september if you join now that'll pretty much uh, have you joined uh for the next for the next season and one of the advantages of being a member is when we do garden tours or workshops that puts uh, members at the top of the list to sign up for those items first and then if there's still openings then non-members are allowed to sign up but being a member uh, that gets you a newsletter that gets you uh, that gets you first choice on being able to sign up sign up for everything so anyway uh, we don't have much going on as far as uh, it looks like we're going to have a Fairly nice day, uh, maybe tomorrow. We're still going to be in the 40s. Sunday, when you look at Sunday that's coming up, I think I think that might be going to be our, uh, is that going to be summer? Is that going to be our best day of spring? Uh, supposed to be in the 60s and 70s. Uh, warm in this area, maybe a little bit of wind. And then as we get into Monday again, uh, cloudy with some rain, uh, temps in the 40s to the 50s. And uh, through most of the week, uh, light bouts of rain. I guess the good thing about it is for outdoor gardens, you don't have to worry so much about watering. But it would sure be nice. Boy, wouldn't, a, wouldn't about a week of sun and 70 degrees, boy, that would really do something for our outdoor gardens, would it? But I'll tell you, I, if, I know if I'm having trouble, I know some of the other folks are too. Uh, so, so hang in there, though. Hang in there, though, and we'll see what happens. I know we were talking earlier on an earlier show of 
one of the things uh, I told you I was going to try, and and this is this is a lot of times talking to other gardeners or doing a little research online. Like I said, with the internet, man, we can find literally anything on the internet anymore. Uh, so one of the things I I'm trying this year is I'm doing more interplanting of the the plants that bugs don't seem to like. For instance. Uh, I didn't get my sunflowers in with my tomatoes like I wanted to because I was actually waiting to get my tomatoes planted in my greenhouse because it's been so dadgum cold at night. I was worried about them in, even in my greenhouse with no sun. And, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, you know how you plant like a tomato in your greenhouse or whatever you're planting in the in your greenhouse and it's almost like it goes into sub- suspended animation you know probably a little bit of, tra- of uh, transplant shock but they just sit there and they look like they're the same size for a long time it's like boy are these things ever going to grow they're they're alive and they're doing okay but they're just not growing and then all of a sudden you look and boy they take off don't they and i'm sure some of that's transplant shock the cool weather getting arranged uh to their new surroundings so anyway but we one of the things we did plant with seed this year that we we had really good luck with was our marigolds and so i'm interplanting marigolds with plants in the greenhouse uh marigolds in my outside garden in in select locations to see if that helps with any of the pest problems and uh I, I haven't tried, and I don't know if any of our other gardeners do it, you know, but uh, chrysanthemums also work well as a natural deterrent. They have, uh, well, chrysanthemum, they have a chemical in them called pyrethrum, and you can buy pyrethrum, and uh, uh, that's, a, that's also a good, uh, good deterrent for, for that. And in my greenhouse this year, I planted a little bit differently this year. Another thing that that are nemesis of uh, aphids in our greenhouses and in our gardens is they don't like the alliums, uh, onions and leeks. So I've got, I've got a bunch of onions and leeks in my greenhouse this year. And I'm going to see if that makes any difference. I interplanted some of those in with the tomatoes also, along with the, uh, marigolds in with everything and I'm going to see how that does this year and see if that actually makes any difference you know because you can read everybody you talk to a hundred gardeners you might have a hundred different opinions on how to how to take care of something like this so that's that's going to be my experiment this year and see how it, how it works does it make any difference or does it not make any difference I watched a, a study you know just done by a, a a gardener on his YouTube site, and he did some tests with uh, some bugs on different ways to get rid of them or what would kill them. You know, he did the he did the soap and water. He did uh, soap, water, and neem oil. He did straight neem oil. And you know what what worked the best? And he got these pests and he put them in a little cup, and then he just put each of these solutions in there. And the thing that actually worked the very best was just soap and water. He put these bugs in straight neem oil, and they were alive. Nothing happened to them. Nothing happened to them at all. So maybe they were the type of bug that the neem oil 
didn't necessarily affect. You know, because what I, from what I understand with neem oil is it, it actually, it actually pl- blocks the the respiration spores on the bugs, and it basically uh, suffocates them, and then they they dry out and they'll fall off. But that's that's one of the ways that apparently neem oil and the soap works and and everything. So anyway, you know, we're talking about this. Our nemesis, the aphid, and one of the things. Uh, that we want to get rid of is aphids and spider mites. But aphids, boy, they can cause a major damage to your vegetable gardens, in your greenhouse, out of your greenhouse. They they attack, they stunt the growth of the plants uh, because they damage their stems, they damage the leaves and the fruit. And, you know, one of the things about aphids that I didn't know that much about was they can also spread disease. And uh, also mold and fungus to almost all the plants that grow in your greenhouse or, or garden. You know, because as they feed on plants, they leave this sticky goo behind. And the experts call it honeydew. And it's nothing good. And what that honeydew goo goop that's left behind, and we've all felt that on our plants, they're sticky. It's a sap, sappy substance. It's perfect conditions to grow mold and fungus on your plants so what do we what do we do here so in addition to helping that mold and fungus flourish aphids can also be a carrier of viruses now where they're getting a virus up here you never know i i don't i don't know i'd have to i'd have to actually ask our resident expert casey matney at the extension center on that and uh, see what what viruses up here they may be traveling, but the research I've done says they they travel can travel from plant to plant, and in, and infect and spread the diseases, uh, amazing from plant to plant. And in fact, you know when it comes to aphids uh, damaging your vegetable plants, the disease and health issues that they bring to your garden are are far more dangerous. Uh, and deadly than the than the small insects just simply liking to eat your plants. So the, these little goobers are damn near invisible. So how do we get rid of them? And one of the hardest things of dealing with the aphids is finding them in the first place. You got to find them. And sometimes people overlook because they like to hang out on the underside of the leaves of your plant. So you have to be diligent in looking for them because they can, they can go unnoticed uh, while their population grows, and it grows faster than you think. Aphids, like, like a lot of our pests, a lot of animals, mice, rats, everything, they reproduce, they can grow their population five to six times in a week or ten days. Uh, you know, and that's just amazing. And I have found aphids in my greenhouse before and I've only had them in there one time uh, really bad and I guess I just wasn't paying attention because they absolutely were everywhere Uh, I rinsed them off so how do we get rid of them Uh, we know they're destructive how quick they can take over so how do you how do you get rid of them quick and safe and then once you do get rid of them how do you prevent prevent them from becoming uh, an issue again what do you do to to keep them away you know you certainly don't have to use harsh chemicals uh, insecticides or anything 
to do that. And some folks, some folks don't mind using those things. Some folks don't want to use, they want to stay a hundred percent organic. And I'll tell you, one of the things I've used in the past, I used to use it in the Midwest many, many years ago. And we, uh, depending on the situation, I've always liked that seven dust. That stuff really seems to work okay. And, uh, you know, I spent a long time, I've got a little shaker jar of it, you know, it's a little shaker tube of it, but I haven't used it in ages because I, I really haven't needed to. But I used to use it, uh, and, you know, I've, I've always had good luck with it. Uh, you know, it, it didn't do anything to me. I mean, I got a weird tick whenever I eat. My left eye ticks a little bit after years of seven, but other than that, it uh, it seems to be doing okay. So, you know, most folks, they don't, they want to stay organic if they can. And there's a concern about the vegetables that you eat if you're using something organic on them. But the the good news is, is you can create your own organic and effective aphid spray. And it's safe for plants, safe for other insects. So what I'm going to give you, we talked about one, I'm going to give you some of the, the better things to use for natural aphid sprays to get rid of those little buggers. Okay, so, but the sooner you find a growing population of those little rats, uh, the easier it is to get them under control. And one of the things to remember is you, the stuff we're going to, I'm going to tell you to spray on here, which a lot of you know already, is you have got to get, spray them underneath the leaves. Just spraying on the top of the leaf doesn't really do much. Now, I've got one of those, which, which I know some folks do, and I need to get this myself, is, you know, those little, Oh, a little handheld. I think they're about maybe a half a gallon uh, size little hand pump uh, sprayer. You you know you pump it up about a half gallon and you squeeze the trigger and it and it sprays. Well, you can also get a little extension for that that's flexible and you can go along and bend it down and then bend it straight up and you can go along and spray on the bottom part of your plants. And that's really easy to do. Otherwise, because you know how those sprayers are, you try to tip it up or go under your plant and no luck uh, because now the little hose that's sucking the stuff up, it's out of the bottom. So if you get that little, you get that little flexible, that little flexible uh, deal on that, or if you've got your, you know, your bigger pump, like the two gallon uh, pump that you, you pump up and carry it around with the wand, as long as you can get under those leaves, that's what you have to do. And I've tried a lot of things too, for instance, of just spraying down, uh, putting the hose on and spraying the underneath the leaf that knocks the, the aphids off. So, but I'm going to tell you the, the one we talked about earlier was just water and liquid dish soap. And it's one of the fastest and easiest methods to get rid of aphids. And it's simple, uh, homemade spray, with water and a liquid dish soap, whatever you like to use. Uh, it, 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 it works great for small to medium-sized infestations, and by simply spraying it on the leaves of your vest plant, it'll kill off the aphids pretty quick. Now, if you want to, if you still worry about the regular dish soap that you, you buy at the big box store, you know, they're also, and you'd, you'd have to do some of the research on this, there also you can get 100% organic liquid soap if, if you want to do that. And there's a bunch of them out there. You just have to look around and 
get which one you want. But that, as I said, that oil residue, it interferes with the outer protective layer of the aphids. And once that is gone, the aphids dry out and they, they croak, which is a good thing. And the best thing about using a soap and water, it, 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 soap and water mixture is that it won't kill important, other important pollinators like butterflies and bees, uh, any of the other pollinators. So the easiest way to make this stuff, though, it's very simple. Get a couple teaspoons of a liquid dish soap of your kind, if you want organic, and apply it to about a gallon of water. Shake the tar out of it and apply it to the plants. Once again, be sure you get the underside of the leaves where the aphids like to hide out. And uh, it's important to let you know, though, that spraying this will not prevent aphids, but it does kill the existing populations pretty quick. For bigger infestations, you'll need to spray more than once to eliminate them totally. You might need to spray on a regular basis. Like I said, if they can, if they can reproduce uh, five to six times their population in a week to ten days, you're going to need to get out there and potentially spray every day or at least every other day to make sure you've got them all. Another thing that aphids... Uh, that helps with aphids is when you do, if it's severe, you can also add one other thing to that soap and water mixture, and that's a little cayenne pepper. Hot pepper spray is actually pretty effective on many insects, and the thing that's even better about it is it can be sprayed on plants to help small animals from munching on leaves as well. You know, I mean, uh, if you've got a rabbit problem or anything like that, uh, you could probably uh, put some of this on there, and that'll deter some of these animals from from munching on your plants. I, you know, it, it, I hadn't thought of this earlier, but it might even work on moose. I, I don't know. I don't know if it'd work on moose or not, but it might might be work, worth a try. So it'll uh, add in a little cayenne pepper, and to make that, you make a, your soap and water spray like we mentioned before, and then you mix a couple tablespoons of cayenne, that real fine cayenne pepper powder in with it. Shake it, stir it, whatever, shake the tar out of it, and let it steep for a couple hours. And they will not like that in the least. Not in the least. Uh, and like I said, that's something aphids don't like. It might be, uh, it also can help with other pests in your garden. And then the last one, like I said, uh, was the neem oil. Some folks swear by it. I've got some neem oil. I, you know, I can't hardly tell the difference. Uh, I don't know if, if, I don't know if I'm using it wrong. I mean, you know, you read the directions, you talk to other gardeners. But, you know, the thing that's neat about neem oil is it's been around for a long time, hundreds of years, in fact. Uh, it's all natural, from the, obviously, from the seeds of the neem tree. And when you mix with water, and, you've, and uh, since it's oil, oil, technically oil and water don't mix, uh, it, some folks say to, to put it in just with water, and other folks say you need that little bit of soap to emulsify it in there. And, you know, it also works uh, well on... Uh, repelling other bugs like some beetles and uh, cabbage worms uh, you know so uh, the the most common the most common is a teaspoon of neem oil with a quart of water and you, you same way you put it in your little uh, handheld pump or, or bottle sprayer or however you've got to spray and then again like I said don't forget about companion planting uh, to get rid of to get rid of things especially aphids marigolds 
the, the gar, uh, garlic, onion, and chives, the alliums, they're well known to deter aphids. So I'm going to see if that works this year. And, you know, one of the things in some of the research I did, did this, uh, that like, for instance, dill, fennel, rosemary, and chives that repel aphids, but they also attract beneficial insects. So that's also needed to put, uh, potentially put a little more variety into your garden. Uh, petunias, lavender, uh, they add color and they keep aphids away. So let's do what our best. We're having a tough enough year as it is, folks. So we need to do what we can to, in fact, get, boy, get the get the best the best deal we can the best produce out of our garden and it's going to be tough this year one of the things i want to remind everyone too uh and this is a we were talking about uh we were talking about the aphids and stuff but one of the things for everyone to to remember and know is we have got fantastic resources up here in the state of alaska in the way of local gardeners sharon bobby uh, Donna, Marsha, we've got wonderful gardeners up here that are always willing to help. And uh, a lot of these folks, they'll be at our, our garden club meetings. And we do the, uh, the garden club does the annual round table in March. You know, hopefully, uh, assuming we'll have a round table again in March. And we will, uh, we will uh, be able to uh, have folks there in the know to help uh, folks with some, uh, with uh, with their gardening and we will uh, we'll just have to we'll just have to see uh, what happens there and uh, uh, since we're moving our location if we're going to have a uh, uh, a good uh, what's the word I'm looking for I always lose the word you know what isn't that weird uh, some good a good location to have our our round table again and uh, have everybody come in and get some tips from these professional gardeners. But anyway, one of the things I wanted to remind you of, like I said, the resources we have up here. And one of the things you might think about doing, if you really love to garden is taking the Alaska master gardener program. I took this a number of years ago, a lady named Heidi Rader up in Fairbanks, it's a, it's actually, you can do it a couple different ways down here. I don't know of any of, or how often, or if I would have to check with Casey to see if they actually offer an in-person class. But I took mine online. I did everything online. Heidi up at Fairbanks was the instructor and it was absolutely wonderful. And what you have to do, you have 40 hours of horticultural training and then you also have to volunteer 40 hours so but it is worth doing I thought it was worth doing I learned a lot and as we always say uh, it's easy it's easy to get complacent and everything and and I'm going to tell you again one of the things I felt so good about a number of years back when I did a presentation to the garden club on potatoes and I mentioned indeterminate and determinate potatoes a resident gardening expert, Bobby Jackson, came up to me and says, Larry, I didn't know that about potatoes. So Bobby is a fantastic gardener, and if there was something she didn't know about plants, then there's something all of us don't know about plants. But this Master Gardener class was absolutely, I thought it was 
fantastic. You know, and some examples of volunteer activities you can do is teach a garden class, you know, work with some youth and adult groups, uh, 4-H club, community gardens, uh, uh, staffing a garden, you know, like, like one of the things that one of my volunteer, some of my volunteer things besides doing this radio show that, that counted for me for volunteering was like, for instance, doing my presentation at the garden club and working the, uh, being a presenta- uh, presenter at the round table. You know, you can develop, uh, demonstrate, there's so many things you can do that count for volunteering. Uh, you know, working, working, uh, maybe helping, helping a, a location uh, manage their garden for a little while, their flower garden out in front of their business. There are so many things that you can do to volunteer. Uh, but Master Gardener volunteers, they work independently and uh, you can get involved in beautification projects. But it's really, and it wasn't really too hard a class. I, I didn't think it was. And uh, it's, uh, to, for instance, it's got 12, uh, and I'm looking here at the, the Gardener program site. Uh, it's got 12 self-paced lessons and take no more than 40 hours to, to complete. And I know it can be kind of tough for, for maybe some moms and dads that are trying to raise a family, uh, got a couple kids, and you're, you're busy already. But I'll tell you what, this was such a wonderful class. I would recommend it, I would recommend it to everybody. And there again, to, to find that, go to the UAF Cooperative Extension Service, and that's just at uaf.edu. You go into your browser and write, type in UAF Extension Service. The link comes up, and then there will be a link uh, under, uh, under uh, you'll have your menu across the top, and the very one on the right says Lawn and Garden, and you bring that down, and there's Master Gardener Program. Click on that, and uh, the other things under that Lawn and Garden link there's an overview. There's a link on greenhouses, grow and tell, growing garlic in Alaska, insects and invasives, and the Master Gardener program and soils. So you can really learn a lot with by talking to people and sitting at your computer and looking this up. So anyway, uh, to move on, uh, the the uh, Master Gardener program is just wonderful. And then the second item on the menu up there is publications. If you can think about it, the publications section also, they tell you how to do everything in Alaska. There's only one publication I don't like. I've mentioned it before. I don't particularly like the publication on potatoes. It's a great publication on how to grow potatoes, but they don't talk about determinate and indeterminate potatoes. I really think they need to update that particular uh, uh publication and distinguish between the two types those two types of potatoes because you can grow them uh, differently you, you grow them each differently uh, if if you want to depending on on which you're, you're doing a determinant or an indeterminate and and I told you my my goal in help in helping gardeners especially with potatoes is to reduce the amount of work you have to do to get your crop. That's my goal. And for instance, I checked uh, yesterday, I plant all my potatoes in containers. They're all up. They're all doing wonderful. I planted my determinants, my indeterminants. I will do nothing else. I won't add any soil to the containers. I won't add anything. All I'll do is now that they're up a little bit, I will run a little bit of straw 
uh, on top of them as a mulch. And the primary reason I'm doing that has, well, first it helps hold in moisture, but it has nothing to do with the potatoes you're growing. What it does is it protects the potatoes, the soil level from the sun, because sometimes a potato will daylight. It'll form above the soil surface. If the sun hits it, it turns green. We've talked about that. It produces the chemical solanine, and it makes that part of the potato no good. You can cut that away, and the rest of the potato is just fine. So that's all I'll do. I'm not going to add any soil, and I do that every year, and I have wonderful potato crop. So, But, the, but I do want to tell you this quick story that happened this year is I I had my compost pile that I worked on all last summer and worked it out. Then I store it and then I keep it covered with a tarp and keep it from getting too inundated with, with moisture. Well, I was working with that compost this year. I'm digging it out and I'm mixing it in with some soil, mixing it into some of my beds and doing all that good stuff. And all of a sudden I looked and there was a potato that we missed. I don't know, my, like I told you before, my the neighbor kids come down, they help me harvest potatoes. Well, we all we missed a potato. And I got to tell you, I, I can tell what it was. It was a green, green mountain, and it was huge. It had to have weighed a pound to a pound and a quarter. It was a monstrous potato. How we missed it, I don't know. It had been sitting, you know, we harvested in, the, what, late September last year, early October. It had been sitting in the middle of that compost pile all winter long, I was digging in the compost pile, and I saw that potato. I pulled it out. It was absolutely perfect. No nothing, no rot, no sprouting, no nothing. And I'll tell you what, I took it in the house. We cleaned it off. It made the best French fries I think I've ever had in my life. Oh, my gosh, they were wonderful. Anyway, uh, see, that's that's what's fun about garden. What a, what a surprise to be digging in the compost pile and come across a last year's potato been in that pile for almost eight months for eight months. And, and it was a perfectly good potato. So that right there, that should be a little hint on potentially how to store potatoes, you know, that, uh, so I'm going to do a little more research on that. So, so that, uh, that should be a hint, uh, to me and to other gardeners on, wow, maybe, maybe I've been storing my potatoes wrong over the years. So anyway, that's something we can check about later. So anyway, check out the Master Gardener program and uh, uaf.edu for all the all the educational needs you would need. All right, now we're we're getting close to the end of the the show, but one of the things I want to bring up that one of the things that we all as gardeners really love to grow and that is tomatoes. We've talked about tomatoes before. And I you know, if anybody's growing tomatoes outdoors up here, I would be interested in knowing that they uh, uh, they don't. Uh, I've tried them before outdoors. I bought cold weather, you know, cold cold climate tomatoes, and I've had them grow outdoors and they've flowered outdoors. But I could not get them to set fruit. I hand pollinated, you know, gave them a little shake. Used the used my little kid's electric toothbrush to shake them and get that pollen going. I couldn't get them to set fruit. They grew, but they would not set fruit because uh, if it's too cold, the, the plants flower, but they won't set. So anyway, I, I do all my tomatoes in my greenhouse, and I am certainly hoping, even with this cool weather, the greenhouse staying a little cool, that we get a stretch of warm weather that will get those 
tomatoes fired up. Like I said, they're in that mode where they're almost suspended animation and, uh, We'll have to we'll have to see if we can get those things things going. Uh, I've noticed a little bit of growth on a couple of them, and that brings me to the point of of your tomatoes. Uh, we all know since tomatoes and potatoes are part of the nightshade family that tomatoes are determinate and indeterminate. The indeterminates grow in a long vine, and they will keep growing. I've told you folks before, I grew like over 17-foot tomatoes back in the Midwest. Uh, Hot sun, good weather for that. Uh, And then determinate potatoes, they grow more in a bush, and they, they become typically all ripe at the same time. Those are the type of tomatoes that most of the tomato companies grow. Uh, they can't afford to be going out every day and picking tomatoes uh, when they're going out there to make, you know, millions of gallons of tomato sauce for, for the grocery stores and everything. So they grow determinants for the most part. And the, the indeterminants are the ones that vine, and they continue, they continue to produce. And there also gets into the controversy with some folks say you do, some folks say they don't like to do it, and that's pinching out those suckers that grow out of that where a main branch comes out of your tomato plant. You get that little bitty sucker coming out of that, that little crotch right there. Well, I, I like to, I like to pinch those off from my indeterminants, but I don't mess with them on my determinants because determinate tomatoes are made to grow as a bush and they only get so tall. So I just let them go. Seems to work. Okay. I only planted two indeterminates this year, and oh gosh, what is a Yukon? Oh, I got a, uh, I didn't plant these from seed. I got them from Trinity. Yukon, Yukon something. I forgot the name of them, and uh, they grow them in their plant. And I got those, and they were oh my gosh! I, when I picked them up, they were God, they were a good two feet tall already in their in their little uh, four inch pot. So, as you know, when you plant your tomato. You can plant those damn near as deep as you want. So what I did was I took those long potatoes, potatoes, tomatoes, and I grew them on a, in a part of my greenhouse in my bed, and I planted them lengthwise. So because those little hairs that are on that stem, those turn into roots. You can always plant your tomato about as deep as you want. If you want to go straight down, I mean, plant plant a one-foot uh, tomato, plant that dude eight inches into the ground. That's okay. Pinch off some of those lower leaves, plant that whole stem in there. You'll get a ton of roots getting out of there that'll develop, which does just feeds the, feeds the tomato more and more. So then, you know, but what I did was I, I mix up, pull the root out of the pot, root ball out of the pot, Tease it up a little bit. Don't want to hurt their feelings, but just tease the roots a little bit. And then you lay it down. You know, I went about, oh, about five or six inches underground, and I dug a trench, and I laid the root ball down in the the trench, and then I laid the tomato lengthwise in that trench, and then I just very carefully bent it up where about, like I said, it was a good two-foot-tall start. And I bent it up where there's only about six or eight inches actually of the tomato plant above ground now. And, uh, and then I've got a place for, for that tomato to grow upwards. 
And uh, I've done that before. Uh, plant them lengthwise. I could have planted. I could have planted that darn thing uh, two foot deep into my bed. I could have planted all the way down to the bottom of the bed, and that would have been fine too. But that would have been too much work. So anyway, uh, I I pinch the suckers and prune my indeterminates, and I leave my determinants alone and just let them grow and produce. And I grew, I'm growing almost, I, I've only planted two, two indeterminates. Those are those Yukon from, uh, from Trinity. And everything else is, in fact, a determinant. Because I want to try and get them to all come uh, ripe at the same time so we can, we like to freeze them, we like to can them, we like to make salsa and that kind of stuff. And it's easier to do that now. And if you and if you don't get them all at the same time, what we started doing is we just throw those tomatoes uh, in a gallon zipper bag, throw them in the freezer, let them freeze, and then when we get enough, we've got enough to either can or to make salsa or whatever. Uh, and that that works just fine too. There's a ton of different ways to do it. That seems to work okay for us. So anyway. Uh, one of the big things that I'm, I'm trying this year with my tomatoes also is I am trying a, I'm trying a, what's the word again? I, I'm, I'm using my fertilizer, you know, and uh, the fertilizer for tomatoes, you want something that's got a little lower nitrogen, a little higher nitrous or phosph uh, phosphorus and potassium, you know, like a five ten ten. We've had talked a lot about what the NPK ratio means, uh, you can do a three, four, six, or whatever. But I'm trying this year a fertilizer on a, not all my plants, but on a few of them. That is a fertilizer for flowering, for potentially for flowering plants. For instance, like the fertilizer I'm looking at, it's like a five fifty fifteen. So fifty percent of this fertilizer is phosphorus, and the higher potassium that helps your plants get a good root system and it also gets them flowering and I'm going to see if that works on a couple of my plants and see how that goes and then I'll use a general like I said that uh, uh, 355 or you know like tomato tone or something like that for uh, you know or just vegetable food gardening just a general uh, general one and then uh, you know I put uh, I mixed in a little bit of uh, uh, Michael Hicks's worm castings in there and there again like I said I, I put my worm castings on the surface of the soil so when you water all those nutrients go down into the soil to the roots instead of putting everything deep where when you water the nutrients go away from the roots that's how I do it uh, my corn's doing pretty well in the greenhouse uh, they are oh a good two foot tall I got a I've, I've kept a, a little bit of a uh, Spares on this. I've got a couple plants that aren't doing very well. I'm going to do a transplant of some backup uh, corn stalks I've had pre-sprouted. I'm probably going to have to replace a few. Uh, same way there, I'll put some uh, grandpa's worm uh, castings on top of the soil, let it go down in, and I might even use a little uh, commercial, a little commercial uh, fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizer. I've got blood meal, uh, bat guano little bit of that uh, those are both high nitrogen uh, and we'll we'll see what happens there but I'm going to be interested in seeing how that high phosphorus flowering uh, the the flowering fertilizer uh, works this year 
uh, with my tomatoes and see what happens. I only planted two cucumber plants. We've still got pickles coming out our nose from last year. Uh, I've just got a couple of cucumbers going just to have a few fresh cucumbers. Mostly, uh, mostly uh, planted a bunch of uh, green beans in my greenhouse this year. Uh, everything outside isn't doing too bad. Uh, it it still needs to uh, still needs to go. But uh, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, squash, and a little high tunnel, uh, carrots, peas. Everything is doing all right. They're not real fast, but they're but they're going. You know, so we'll we'll have to see how that goes. So, holy smokes. Well, golly, folks, this hour went really fast. And uh, I hope you uh, hope you enjoyed listening to today's show. Uh, and uh, don't give up on your garden. Watch out for that scary fireball in the sky, and it looks like it's almost gone again. And uh, keep, keep checking on your garden. Uh, one of the things I did this year, too, uh, it was all my, all my outdoor garden, my raised beds. I put down Tipar, the fabric, and I burned holes and everything. Everything I've got outside now, uh, with the exception of a few things, you know, my uh, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, celery, Brussels sprouts, they are all growing out of holes in the, in the fabric. And I did that to keep from having to do so much weeding. And so far it's working okay and they're all doing fine. Everything's doing okay, uh, and uh, I'm glad to see that. Well, folks, thanks again for listening to Growing a Greener Kenai. As I've said before, I have a lot of fun doing this, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, if everything works all right here. In about two months, we'll have Joe Lample from Growing a Greener World on the show and Joe Gardner website podcast. So anyway, thanks again. I really appreciate your listening. This is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. And get out there and garden. Support our gardeners at the farmer's markets. And thanks again for listening.